Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to. Say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us. I got a got a big butt. It's gigantic. I'm going to be blunt about it. And you know what? The funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before you before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But i got to tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, well, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading His Word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden a big giant butt gets in the way. A butt, much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired, but the game's over, but I read last Tuesday, but I got to check Facebook, but I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here, but I, I just don't like books, but I don't understand it, but it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are, ugly, ugly butts. Okay, and there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. But that's not my gift. That's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friends. But, 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 here a but, there a but, everywhere a but, but, okay? And, and, and the most overused but of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on, we have a lot of buts. God has given us a real simple word, okay? If we learn it, and we share it, and we teach it, and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the but, okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a swim gym. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it. We start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah. I think you get it. 
Have you ever noticed how often we make excuses? Everyone has an excuse. It's almost like we've made it an art form. Oh, I didn't know how. Oh, I didn't understand. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, I threw my back out while I was bowling. Oh, I have to take care of my cat. In the Christian world, we can find all sorts of excuses why we don't obey God's voice. Isn't that the preacher's job? Well, that's not my gift. I've already served. Now let someone else do it. Or I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too young. I'm too old. Benjamin Franklin once wrote, "He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else." We're all guilty of making excuses, like the little boy who gave the classic, "The dog ate my homework." Well, the teacher decided to investigate further. She said, "Now, why did you let the dog eat the homework?" The little boy said, "My dog loves cake." Now the confused teacher said, "Well, what does that have to do with it?" The little boy said, "Well, yesterday when you gave the homework, you said it was a piece of cake." Hey, this morning we're going to be challenged to make no excuses in our spiritual walk. In a moment, we are going to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Jeremiah, where we see this young prophet, and he is called by God to do an impossible task. And well, he was just filled with excuses, but. God is going to see him through, just like God will see you through, because He calls us to be faithful as He is faithful. So my name is John. Listen, I'm just thrilled that you have tuned in today. I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So we're starting a brand new sermon series today. It is called Sorrow and Hope. It's a five-part study in the books of Jeremiah. And Lamentations. We are going to learn about the life and ministry of this prophet named Jeremiah. He was a guy who his people rejected the Lord. They rejected his message, his warnings, and and then he watched the downfall of Jerusalem. He he laments as Israel is conquered by their enemy. Listen, I've never preached either of these books before. <laughs> It's a unique study that's going to help us navigate our human responses to pain and difficulty and suffering. You know, these passages really highlight the character of God, and and they propel us to look differently at sorrow and hope. So let's begin with Jeremiah chapter one. Let's read together, starting in verse four. It says, "The word of the Lord came to me, saying, 'Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations.' Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, 'I do not know how to speak. I'm too.'" Young, but the Lord said to me, "Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you," declares the Lord. Well, let's stop there because I, I want to share with us a little bit about this man. He, he's he's a guy who was called to speak the word of the Lord, but. Hey, it didn't really seem like he was too excited about it. You know, maybe the task just seemed too big. You know, in our own lives, we make excuses for why we can't accomplish big things. But here's the good news: fulfilling our calling is not dependent on our own strength or our own skills. It's dependent upon God's presence with us. You know, Jeremiah he just had every excuse ready when God calls him here to be a prophet, and his excuses are often. Our excuses, and and what we see countering each excuse really is a promise from God. So here's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together: is is we're going to walk through this passage, and we're going to identify three common excuses that we use for not boldly accomplishing the things that God has for us. And the first excuse is this: it's too hard. Now Jeremiah lived at a time when the people of Israel were caught up in adultery. 
that they were idolatrous. They they were they were getting involved with with pagan worship, and they had alliances with these foreign nations. In fact, they had to pay tribute to them. They willingly chose to participate in false worship, and it was all in this vain attempt to sort of keep their nation strong, keep their military strong. So what they did was made spiritual compromises and were unfaithful to the Lord. And so Jeremiah was to let them know that God's not happy with them, that that they'd better repent because things are about to come crashing down all around them. So yes, this is a hard task. It's an impossible task. Jeremiah has no chance of being popular or well-liked or well-received. Chances are he's going to be hurt or killed for his defiance of these strategic partnerships. But he was called to be, as we saw there in verse 5, a prophet to the nations. That means the scope of his ministry is going to be big. You know, God may assign you a big task, a demanding task, but his call keeps us going even when we don't want to keep going, even when we are ready to quit. We, we have this promise of God's purpose, right? So let's look closely there. Verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God chose Jeremiah. He appointed Jeremiah. He's known by name, handpicked by God and commissioned to serve almighty God. So this gives us a sense of purpose that, that the promise allows us to go ahead of our own plans but step into God's plan without fear. So our future is not our own. We are God's. He has a distinct plan and purpose for our lives. What's interesting is that God doesn't mince words with Jeremiah. So let's jump ahead a little bit to verse 19. We're in Jeremiah chapter one. He says, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. They will fight against you, Uh, He says, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God doesn't promise Jeremiah that he's going to receive glowing reviews from the people he's been called to minister to. He doesn't promise that they're going to listen to his message. He doesn't promise him success. He he says you're going to face incredible opposition. It's not exactly the dream job that Jeremiah has been hoping for, perhaps. You know, it's interesting. One career website recently compiled a list of the 12 worst jobs. This is based on an analysis of salary and benefits and career opportunities, worker health, safety concerns. <laughs> uh, some of the top 12 jobs that made that list include bank teller, assembly worker, short order cook, newspaper reporter. You know, none of these jobs probably advertise themselves as top 12 worst jobs, but God openly admits here, That Jeremiah's job is going to be big and it's going to be difficult. But really, it's just the difficulty and impossibility of the task that makes verse 8 and and again in verse 19 that we just read here so important where the Lord says that he will be with us. Has the Lord not chosen you? Nothing is too difficult for him. Like Jesus says, all things are possible with God. So will we, will we trust him to accomplish his will through us? So excuse number one, it's too hard. Excuse number two, I'm not capable. Jeremiah understands the task. He sees the need. He just doesn't think he's the man for the job. Don't you want someone who's trained in public speaking? Don't you want that primed and polished debate champion who's just got away with words verse six he says 
Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. Have you heard of imposter syndrome? It's this persistent fear of sort of being secretly incompetent or inadequate for your job. Actually, it affects other areas of your life as well. It's not just in the workplace. It can affect your marriage or your parenting. No one tell the kids, but we don't actually know what we're doing. There's no manual here other than the scriptures on how do we raise children um, or, or even in your faith. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that fear of being found out when people discover I'm not really as capable or as talented, as spiritual, as disciplined, as intelligent as they think I am. You know, if we're honest, I think we'd all agree with Jeremiah here who hears God's call and says, uh, I don't know how to do this. I'm not proficient. I'm not competent. To which the Lord says to you and I today, good. That's just the point. God, God doesn't need to rely on your strength, on your might, on your ability, on your ingenuity, but on his Holy Spirit within you. And so God doesn't respond to Jeremiah here with, no, Jeremiah, you're not young. Uh, you do know how to speak. You're capable. You're talented. You can do this. God doesn't say that. Instead, he tells Jeremiah not to focus on his inadequacies. The Lord said to me, verse seven, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. He tells Jeremiah in verse eight, do not be afraid because I am with you and I will rescue you. So God doesn't respond to our fears of inadequacy with reassurances of our strength and our ability, but with a reminder that he is able. God has a way to overcome our weakness. Our insufficiency, you know, our talent may appear to be inadequate, but God always equips those he calls. We have this promise of God's provision. So now I want to continue on into verse nine. We're in Jeremiah chapter one. Look at what the Lord says here. It says, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Oh, God doesn't use the most gifted and the most talented person. No, it's that one that's been touched by the hand of God. It's the one that's unlikely that God uses to shake up the church and the community or a nation. So when you think I'm not capable, you're right. But praise God that he is. Okay, a third excuse that we see here, and that is now is not the right time. Okay, God, I get the assignment and I'm going to rely on your power, but... Now's really not a great time for me. You know, maybe part of what Jeremiah is saying is, I'm too young now, right? He says to the Lord, he's too young. Maybe part of what he's saying is, I'm too young now. Give me 10 years. I'll be much more wise and mature. Or maybe Jeremiah is thinking, hey, Lord, let's just see how this alliance with Assyria turns out. You know, maybe our people, once they get involved, are really going to be disgusted by the practices, child sacrifice, pagan worship, you know, maybe they'll just come running back to you on their own once they see how vile that is. But you see, we try to put God on our timeline. You know, I'm going to call that person next year. I'm going to serve on that ministry team once things slow down for me. I'm going to launch that podcast, but just in a different season of life. You know, sometimes God's call seems to come at a very inopportune time. 
but his ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. But we like to spiritualize our excuses, don't we? You know, it seems like Christians have 17 ways of saying no. Okay, ways to say no. There are a bunch of them. No thanks. I'm good. I'll pass. One of my personal favorites. For sure no. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you got saved, you got eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and access to a whole long list of ways to say no that'll make you sound like way more spiritual of a person than you actually are. I don't think it's God's will. It's just not his timing. I'm feeling led in a different direction. Let me talk to my pastor about that. It's a closed door. I'm waiting on the Lord right now. I just don't feel peace about it right now. God has a different assignment for me. I just didn't feel prompted. I just don't feel like that's something that Jesus would do. But I I just feel like I'm not in that season anymore. Can you help me move this weekend? But normally I would, but I just feel like God is just telling me to rest right now. I just got a sense that it didn't line up. Right now I'm in a season of new wineskins. What does that even mean? I just feel like right now I'm in a season of creating margin and I just don't have the bandwidth. Are you even speaking English right now? I was just asking if you wanted to get a pizza. Prompting. How many times have I told you about the prompting? I'm not feeling the prompting. I don't know. I'm just not really feeling the spirits leading on this one. Mm, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me lay out a fleece on that one. Okay, I don't think anyone says that. And of course, everybody's all-time favorite, let me pray about it. All I'm saying is when it comes to Christian ways of saying no, just say no. <laughs> Better yet, say yes to the things the Lord has for you. You know, if you know what God wants you to do, I want you to hear very simply this message today. If you know what God wants you to do, do it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't delay. You don't have to over-spiritualize everything and say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Walk in obedience. Don't delay. You know, this task that the Lord gave Jeremiah, it is not a joyful message of deliverance and hope and rescue. It is to announce a, a tragic judgment and oncoming wrath of God. Consequently, Jeremiah would indeed, as we study him, we're going to see it. He's going to be misunderstood. He's going to be persecuted, arrested, imprisoned, thrown down a well. More than once, his life is threatened. The people didn't want to hear the truth. Jeremiah told them very plainly, they were defying the Lord. They're disobeying the Lord. They're destined for judgment. And so right here in chapter one, the Lord gives him this image. So turn with me to verse 13, the image of a boiling pot. It says, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting toward us from the north. And the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live on the land. So what happens is Jeremiah walks a very difficult road. What he does over the course of his life and ministry, he warns his people. He urges them to turn from their wickedness. He, he says, return to the Lord, seek him with all your heart. And yet he would weep as he watched as the enemy invades, as they conquer his people and his land. And so we have the book of Lamentations. Chapter one in the book of Lamentations describes Jerusalem's destruction. And it's a result of sin and rebellion against God. And listen, does this mean that God is just angry, that God enjoys seeing humans suffer? No, God is a God of love in the Old Testament and new. And in his love, he calls people to himself. He wants to set us apart. He, he wants to make us holy like he is holy. And sometimes what that means is stripping away the things that are keeping us from him. So let's turn there together to the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. Starting in verse one, it says, 
How deserted lies the city, once so full of people! How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations! She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Verse two. Bitterly she weeps at night; tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her; they have become her enemies. I would encourage you to read this whole chapter. If we look breezing through it, there, verse five, he says, "The Lord has brought her grief because her many sins." Verse nine, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and then in verse sixteen, this is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. And really, it's clear that God is the author of Judah's affliction. That that the people have brought on perhaps the most dramatic judgment of all. That God has allowed the destruction of His holy city, Jerusalem. It's the site chosen by God through David for the Ark of the Covenant to dwell. It was where Solomon dedicated the temple to the glory of God, and yet even in this act of dedication, there was an acknowledgement that God would punish any unfaithfulness, that He would indeed allow His people to be defeated, to be carried away in exile. This is you can read that prophecy in First Kings eight. Verses 46 through 51, and now it has actually occurred. God's people sinned, and they are reaping the consequences in suffering and sorrow. This is a picture of each and every one of us apart from Christ, left to our own devices, walking paths that that we think are best for us, disregarding God's laws and God's ways. But praise God that the Lord. In His great mercy, has sent a rescuer. Jesus came to Earth, perfect and sinless, as a sacrifice for us, and He took the punishment that we deserve. And so, when we place our trust in Him, we are restored back to a holy and loving God. Not because of the good we've done, not because we've earned it. It is a free gift, and it is available to all who believe. And so, now, my friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we live by the Spirit of God. It's only through Him. He is with us. Alone, we are helpless. With God, we prevail. And so, make no excuses. When God asks you to do something, rely on Him to come through and do it. You know, Jeremiah was young; he was inexperienced. That reminds me of another person in the Scripture, Moses. He said he wasn't great at speaking, and yet the Lord had a very important message to give through him. He was looking at his own limited power rather than God's unlimited power. It's in Exodus chapter four. The Lord reminds Moses that it is He who created the mouth. He says, "I will give you the words to say." Listen, the God of the universe will be there to help you. He says in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. I am the Lord, the God of mankind. Is anything too hard for me? So, has God called you like He called Jeremiah? Well, He will fulfill His purpose in you. He will equip you. He'll enable you. He'll protect you. He will accompany you. Are we willing, or will we keep making excuses? Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a joy to to get into the Word of God together. I pray blessings upon you as you grow in Christ, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you, and God bless you.